Sooners of Oklahoma at 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. We are bringing you the Kansas post-game Sooners. Go out there and finally get a W, man, a much-needed W. We said it in the preview. If OU wanted to go out there and win, perform well, they needed to start fast. Well, OU went out there and did that. The offense was humming. The defense, well, we'll talk about it. And and then the whole team, there was an energy behind it that has not been there the past three weeks. We finally got to see it. Guys, right now, take time. Go leave us a rating and review on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you go follow the social media. But right now, myself, Barry, personal trainer, sports performance coach out of Tulsa, and Damian Mackey, former Sooner, 2000 national champ. We got a special announcement on this pod, and I'm going to turn it over to DMAC. First of all, DMAC, how are you doing this evening, man? Doing well. Um, you know, today's game was an interesting game. This day, uh, you know what I mean? You praise your guys when you lose, and you critique your guys when you win. So today we're going to have a critical eye when we look at this game. <sighs> but, uh, you know, it's good to get back on the winning side. It's good to, to build some momentum. In, in football, they like to say you want to stack victories. And so we were on a three-game losing slide. Uh, it's good to get a victory and then get yourself some momentum going into the bye before we go into the second half of the season. Absolutely, man. Well, one thing that's going to be a victory is what I'm about to let you uh, tease and let the people know about, man. What does the Barry and Mac Show podcast have coming for the people? Yeah, I just want to uh, let you guys know, first things first, man, super grateful, humbled um, to be able to be in a position to where, hey, guys, in July, we it's literally been like three and a half months three and a half months ago we were just kind of like yo what would happen and we were spitballing what what could we do if we did something like this and three and a half months later we have a licensing deal with blue wire which has been amazing uh super appreciative of those guys providing us a place to a platform really for our, our podcast to host our podcast but also guys we're going to be partnering uh with the web content site and uh, I'm excited about it because what our goal and our aim is to really provide a forum for the Sooner Nation to discuss um, all things football, obviously, recruiting, um, other sports, right? We're going to be having a lot of interviews and conversations with alumni. We're going to be talking X's and O's. We're going to be showing you guys videos and doing analysis. So we're going to take the actual um, just the game of football for the Sooner Nation Right. And just the relationships, the actual players, their parents, the community, uh, Norman. And we're going to take it to a level we see an opportunity. We're going to take it to a level where you're going to actually have the opportunity to see a 360 approach to what's going on in the Sooner program, what's going on in the University of Oklahoma. So be on the lookout, guys. Uh, more information coming in a very near future. We're going to be doing a couple promos to kick this thing off to really, uh, you know, create some excitement around what's happening and expect it to be above board and top-notch professional experience that that's what we're going for we want to provide our sooner nation with an alternative uh to a site where you're going to get uh just just 
the best of the best when it comes to video, when it comes to analysis, when it comes to updates, when it comes to the team um, and knowing what's going on inside the program. So I'm juiced. You know what I mean? I, I feel like as an entrepreneur, four months ago, you would have never told me I would have had the opportunity to be in a position that we're in now. But just, you know, mid-season of this football season, being in a position where just in the very near future, uh, we'll be in a situation where we'll have, we will be contributors to a mm-hmm. site. Again, Sooners 360 sounds sick, by the way. You know what I'm saying? I just love the name. I'm just excited about what it's going to provide and looking forward to see what we're going to be able to do in the, in the weeks and months to come. The name is awesome. I will, you know, I was, we were all a part of the brainstorming on this deal and the, the name was, was perfect. It fit. I'm really excited for, for creating a new avenue for OU fans and maybe people who haven't been part of a community like that before, but maybe they know about you. Maybe they've listened to the podcast and allowing this podcast to be a, be a catalyst to, to grow this thing. It's, it's going to be people who know about football, right? People who are interested in the, in the training side, people who love recruiting. It's, it's going to be a, the full gamut. And I don't think people are are really appreciating how much you can take media into your own hands now and write your own story, you know, create your own lane, if you will. That there's so much out there to consume, and there there's plenty of grass to go around. And and I'm just incredibly excited, you know, to even be a part of this. But then, let alone you know, help get this thing off the ground. So excited to be partnering with you and the others that are involved. I think it's going to be an absolute blast, man. And I'm, I am looking forward to it. Agreed. Definitely agreed. I'll say this last thing before we jump into the actual episode. It was good to have people that want to invest in you. They hear your vision, right? They, they, they see what you, what you're doing, the talent you possess or the passion you possess. It ain't even so much about talent. I think it's more so about the passion. And they say, man, I want to invest and help create something. Like for me, that is a, that's a genuine, uh, uh, situation or business relationship. And so that part, I want to say thank you to the, the people who they know who they are. I'm not going to say any names today, but the individuals who said, Hey, man, we want to invest and create something with you guys. And we think we could do something great. Man, just to be in a position where one, you're bringing the value to do that, but two, you're going to be building these business relationships. Exciting to see. It's going to be fun to hear. The podcast will be there. We're going to be doing more exclusive content where you'll have access to it there. You guys are going to be able to, get, again, have access to insider information and and really just enjoy the ride of being a Sooner um, and being a part of a community that's going to be authentic, right? If you know anything about us, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to give the truth. We're going to be transparent. You guys will be able to enjoy that type of environment once we get this thing up and off the ground. So look out for it. Sooner's 360. Um, I'm looking forward to giving you guys a 360, you know, vision on what we've got going on. And we've got a bunch of other dope contributors who will be doing the same. Let's dive into this thing, man. Let's Let's go, man. man. Yeah. So, so the Sooners, they go out there, they get in the win column this week against Kansas and any other year we would be saying that we would say, well, they were supposed to beat Kansas. Well, this year, Kansas rolled into Norman, 19th in the country in the AP, 20th in the coaches, if anybody pays attention to that anymore. They were 5-1 and one, DMAC. They were a team that, that has performed well. They took TCU down to the wire, a, a team that just took it to Oklahoma you know, a previous couple of weeks ago. And, and OU went out there, and they started fast 
against the Jayhawks. Now, Kansas hasn't had the best defense in the Big 12, you know, thus far this year. Their offense, you know, with Jalen Daniels, you know, and even Jason Bean to some extent has really been the talk of the town, but they do have guys. And this game, and maybe you'll agree, was just more more about Oklahoma coming out there and putting their best foot forward than it was about who the Jayhawks are, how much this win means, and you know, like a national narrative. This was a a game that OU needed to to win because of pride. This was a a game that you needed to win to get the momentum back to to start feeling good again. You know, both people inside the program and outside the program, and and you know, let's start writing writing your own story and and creating creating a new uh, a new ending to how this season could go. And they went out there and did that. You know, right off the top, we said in the preview show the offense needed to start fast. They did. Dylan Gabriel goes twenty nine of forty two, about a seventy percent completion percentage, just shy. Throws for 403 yards, DMAC. You had Braden Willis. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, get <laughs> 103 uh, receiving yards. He had a touchdown. You had Mims uh, go for, I think Mims went for, uh, I think, 106, 108. 108. Yeah, there yeah. we go. So you had the, the studs of the offense, and we said that needed to happen. We said two things. They need to be able to run the ball, and you had to get your stars involved. Yep. And and I would say they did that. But uh, first leading off, what I want to ask you about, DG returns, and it looks like a whole new team. What was that all about? Yeah, you know, we talked about it, and shout out to you for uh, – <laughs> you killed me on the on the IG stuff, man. I saw, I saw when you created the little video. I'm like, this guy, man, kicking my behind. But um, <laughs> essentially making the reference of, you know, they needed their guy back. Right. I think we can all appreciate and I think we discussed this last week or maybe I said it in 10 thoughts last week. But we now know like DG is the soul of the team without him there that we're, we're essentially missing. A, you know, we're missing what what ticks, what makes the engine, what makes the offense tick. And so having him back, you know, those guys were oozing with confidence um, on Thursday, Friday and uh, walkthroughs and, 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 and practice because. They could see all the work they have been doing in the offseason in the summertime. Like, okay, we now have our trigger man, our point guard, the individual who makes this offense go. So I was expecting them to uh, have a quick start. I was just really paying attention to him to see how how the concussion would impact his psyche. Um, and it, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was good to see him come out there, show a lot of confidence, throw the ball well. He wasn't high on many throws. He, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he definitely came back and, and provided a lot of confidence. And I think, oh, you can feel good about itself going into the second half of the season, knowing they get their quarterback upright or keep their quarterback upright and uh, are in a position where there isn't a, there isn't a game on the schedule. Like we said, that's, you know, uh, a walk in the park, but there ain't nobody on the schedule. That's just a guaranteed loss either. So I think these guys have the opportunity to kind of galvanize with one another and really set a tone and say, okay, we may not be a playoff contender this year, but we can lay the foundation. That's going to be the resurrection of OU going back to being a championship caliber team. Yeah, I think the the cliche is so true and it's so apt for this team this year. You're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. 
And I mean, unless you're backup quarterbacks. Um, that's, that's <laughs> Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. Texas. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, but but the team on offense tonight was was efficient, man. Or I guess this morning. Um, so OU, sixteen of twenty one on third down conversions. Did you see that? Well, we experienced it, right? A lot of third and mediums, a lot of third and shorts, and and a lot of third downs. We were able to run the ball to to get the first, which is critical. So salute to them for that. Yeah, and then they they go out there, they they run the ball well, as you said, they get two ninety eight on the ground. You know, Eric Gray, who has been not maligned by Sooner fans, but maybe not you know kind of given his flowers, if you will. He went out there and performed really well today. He he ended up 175 yards, had had a good average. I want to say he was right around eight yards per carry. And we, we said it again in, in the pod, in the preview show, wanted to see him break open a, a bigger run or at least one of those guys do that. He goes out there, rips off a 35-yarder for a touchdown. He had one that was that was called back. They had a hold. But then he, I want to say one or two plays later, he takes the next one to the house. You know, the, the both parties working together, run game, offensive line. How do you think that they did today in terms of, you know, some of the positives? And then were there a few negatives um, also to, to that we need to still keep in mind as they go forward? Yeah, so I'm going to give you some, just kind of some X's and O's, and I'm going to give you some opinions. I mean, obviously... Being able to run the ball at will is extremely important. It makes the game a lot simpler. And so, you know, when I when I look at the game from that in that regard, I feel good, except it is Kansas. Right. And if you're watching the game, you hear um, I don't know if you heard, but the the commentators essentially said there's a lot of guys on this team who, aside from a Kansas offer, had no other offers to power five conferences or no other offer to big the big five. And I'm like, whoa. Mm. So in this game, there was a clear difference between the Jimmys and Joes. And I think we could see that. Right. They have a middle backer who's a pretty he's a thumper, but you can beat him laterally. You know, they they had this is the team where you have one corner who's a four six guy. And so you can't play bump. Right. We heard the commentators say it a ton. They don't blitz much. You know why you don't blitz much? Because then you got one-on-one matchups. And if teams know you're blitzing and you got one-on-one matchups, then, you know, then there's a lot of mismatches that teams can scheme. So I I, I think this was an appropriate game for the time and space that is in the schedule. You cannot discount the ability to run the football. You just can't. Here's another thing that we actually probably should now be, you know, paying a little more credit to is let's just keep it a buck. We all know for the last decade, K-State's been tough. And then Texas, you know, they've got some guys. I, I don't like to give those guys a lot of credit, but I mean, you know, this is a season where they're playing better. We just have to admit the fact. And TCU's probably the cream of the crop of the conference this year. Um, if you uh, asked me to bet who I thought the best team's going to be, just with their offense is very multiple. They've got NFL guys at receiver. Their quarterback is mobile and can throw the ball. They've got two running back. they got an NFL running back. They're starting running backs and NFL guy. Um, they've got a they've got a good team and they play aggressive on defense. They they're chippy. They're a chippy team. We've seen three weeks in a row those guys play with edge, and you need that. You need some of that. So I say that to say we may not have known when the roughest part of our schedule was gonna be, but we may have actually gone through the pinnacle of the schedule. Yes, we've got Oklahoma State and we've got Baylor. 
but those guys are beatable. And we know the record between OU and OSU. We know last year, even with our coach literally trying to sneak out in the 11th hour, we should have won the game. There's a pass interference they don't call. That is a game-changing play if they do call. And we get them at home. So there are a lot of things that we can hang our hat on now or potentially hang our hat on now that we've got to use in our favor because we're still in the balance. But taking it back to the ability to actually run the ball, like it's third and four, we need a first, we can run that that inside zone. It's second and six, we need a, a manageable third down, we can run zone read. That The ability to do that is big. And regardless to if we're playing Kansas today or whoever we're playing, Handkerchief University A&M, which is what Bob used to always say. If whatever, if we're playing Sisters of the Poor, you know, Bob used to always talk about Sisters of the Poor and Handkerchief A&M. Regardless to who we're playing, our guys are now going to have more confidence going into this week of practice, and that matters. And so you're looking at Harrison, you're looking at uh, Seth Rain, and you're looking at Murray, and you're looking at, you know, Bird and Sexton and all these guys. You know, they're going to go into next week feeling good about themselves and with a little more continuity. There's going to be five or six plays that they really like, and we'll see what scheme. Uh, who do we have next on the calendar? We got Iowa State next. Is that right? Two I weeks? So, yeah. Let me, let me pull right, so this I, up and have it ready. Yeah, I think, I I think so. Sure Iowa State. And, and when we play Iowa State in two weeks, we will have had two weeks to prepare and ask ourselves, what are we good at? And then what are we good at versus their front? So, that's something that I really want to, you know, pay homage to in the running game. Some things that I caught that I was kind of interesting, though, is we I think it's safe to say Gray's the lead dog on the, on the season. I want to say he's averaging seven to eight yards a carry. Yeah. You know, he's obviously he's <laughs> the jump cut that everyone hated so much last year. We now see him using it correctly and he's making guys miss an open field like con- consistently, which is pretty cool to see. He's, he's, he's um, you know, being a lot more assertive in his ability to get downhill. But the number two running back position was interesting to me today. I said it last week, and I'm going to I'm gonna reiterate it again. And this is no shot, but I'm looking at Barnes, and he's running well. And I think for a pup, I think relative to being a pup, it's good to get him the experience. But it's just very interesting to me that Marcus Majors, after the first three games of the season and playing the way he played, is getting zero reps. I know he had an ankle and was out for you know a game or two, but I'm pretty sure he's healthy now, right? As it seems as though it seems he's healthy. And um, again, I'm watching the game and Barnes is doing some good things, but he left some plays to be desired. They run an outside zone play and he stops and tries to cut it up and he he takes a loss. And if he just runs to the edge, he's probably got a big play. It's set up great. And it's just the rookie things. And it's just interesting for me to see like, huh, interesting that he's getting all the two reps. In fact, he was the primary goal line running back. Right. And I remember seeing majors get those reps and 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 be in those positions early in the season. So just something to be thinking about. Who knows? Maybe the ankle's still a little sore and they wanted to rest him going into the to the into the bye so that he's ready for the second half of the season. You know, or, you know, maybe this is kind of what we discussed where, you know, they're they're in a position where they're they're putting puppies in a in a position to get more playing time. And in my opinion, I don't know if Barnes has separated himself from majors. And obviously, I'm not at practice, and I don't know what's happening with bust and block assignments and things of that nature. But just interesting note for myself to say, huh, right? I think Barnes gets 12, 14 carries and Majors gets that. That's that's something to be paying close attention to. Um, and in my opinion, 
I feel like that there's probably not a huge deviation between what the two had done prior leading up to this game. Yeah, if you're, if you're going off just what they've done this season, I would say it feels almost even. I think Major played a little better to start the year, but I think more of that's a product of Barnes just missing the fall, had the hamstring issue, and then now he's he's gotten healthy. He's gotten his feet under him. He's obviously had more reps in practice. One of the things I know we're highlighting some of the positives that I did want to ask about, just if it's a concern you know, when they play teams like Oklahoma State where they got ahead in the possessions on this one, so it wasn't quite as critical, but they're still struggling a little bit down there on the goal line. There were some plays where where OU just, just got stuffed. Kansas just went mano a mano and said, I'm, I'm going to beat you and, and whip you at the line and get there. Here's what I want to ask about, though. Not just broad scheme of that. What I want to ask about is, is how much are you impacted on the offensive line if, let's say, you have four out of the five are, are playing extremely well or even just well to, to average, but you have one guy who, whatever position, just pick one, who is, is not quite up to snuff, but you really don't have a guy underneath him. My question is, how much does one guy missing an assignment here, getting whipped on this play here, is that as big of a factor or can the offensive line overcome things like that? I mean, in this game, obviously they, they could, but but down the stretch, just from, from the fan watching, how big of a deal is it if all five aren't necessarily always 100% on the same page? I'm going to answer your question, give you an analogy, and then I'm going to answer it in more details. All right. So the answer is today, yes, but in, in the grand scheme of things, no. Okay. That, that's the answer. The answer is really no. The analogy I say is let's just say you're on defense and there's one player in your secondary who's consistently soft or late or passive or just lacks athleticism, lacks instincts. How much does, does that impact your secondary? A lot. And times that by two on the O-line, right? Wow. So let's just say there's a guy in our secondary and, and we feel the same way about him. And, and, and we complain and we tweet and we ask questions, right? Whatever, so on and so forth. All of those concerns are compounded, I would say, probably minimum 2 x If you've got a guy who's consistently missing blocks, mentally soft, physically soft, making busts, a big deal it is it's a big deal and so you know with with our situation on the o-line here here's the thing that i consistently ask myself i say it feels to me like we have more young depth than we're playing it feels to me like we have some some guys that are uh chomping at the bit to get into the game but i'm looking at sexton and those guys uh earlier in the season i'm looking at a bird right these guys are physically ready to go guys and again i'm not at practice i don't know if they're messing up on the nine on seven inside drill i don't know if on blitz pickup they're not you know satelliting the right way or you know their their kick step is is too far away or they're turning their shoulders or they're giving up the edge i don't know those those intimate details but to your point i would say our o-line is probably an 82 it's ceiling i'd say today the ceiling of our o-line is an 82 
And I wonder if some of those guys might push that ceiling towards an 85 or even a 90 and how reps in a game like Kansas might benefit or in games like TCU where our quarterback goes out and he's injured and we've got a D line and a a front seven or really a front six. Right. But we've got a, a front that's pretty solid. And giving these guys a chance in a game where we we fully expect now, you know, in the third quarter, I don't think there's any question whether or not we're going to win the game. Those guys need those reps to get get rather shoulders and, and, and get a little dirty, get a little muddy against a team like TCU. Kansas is the same way. I want to I want to I want to address your question to uh, Barry about the goal line. And I said this when it happened. I didn't agree. I do not agree with what we did on the goal line going into that half. But I understand why coach did it. It's a coach. That's a coach issue. And I think coach was okay falling on the sword, being up 14 with the opportunity to go up 21. And here's why. Up until that point, up until this point in the season, our line has been one that, you know, we've gotten plays where we've gotten a hat on a hat and we've been pretty clean and we've gotten plays when we've gotten our ass whipped and we've had plays with mental busts. We've had all of all the above happen uh, thus far. I felt like coach was was essentially testing them to say, hey, listen, we've been proven that we could be a finesse line, right? We could scheme and beat people, you know, get a hat on a hat or we can get them to line up in the coverage or the front that we want. And when our guys are nowhere, they need to go. But we hadn't proven that we could just line up and kick your ass. And, you know, when you look at that play, first things first, Mim scores. ESPN two sucks. The two the two angles that they gave us were terrible. There was no justification for that ref to say it wasn't a touchdown because his feet are in bounce. There's no knee down, and when the ball hits on the ground, it's hitting in the end zone. It sh- he should have said touchdown anyway, and they should have been reviewing whether or not it stood. But that that's neither here or there. That's a touchdown, and it pisses me off because Willis, of course, got him a touchdown, and Mims didn't get a touchdown, and I, I want my stake, so I'm still keeping the score. <laughs> and I know, and I know you are too. I know you are too. But by the way, Willis is a stud. But out of that play, you guys could even hear the commentators say they're like, "Hey, man, let the cart leave." Well, no, we need to line up because right, the clock's running, and I think it was very smart what OU did, and I liked the formation. Go look at the formation we line up in to spike the ball which was weird to me. I felt like we didn't need to spike the ball. We probably could have ran it in on that play, but we're in a spread formation. And when we spread out, they have to spread out. I thought it would have been until, and I think, Barry, I truly believe this. I believe, by the way, Utah just scored to go up 48 seconds left. The fighting Ooh. Lincoln Rileys are down one, 48 seconds. So we'll see how this ends. Oh yeah. But I, I thought, I thought to myself, we need this touchdown because we need the dub. But then I also felt like, ah, this is an opportunity for coach to say, hey, O-line, go show that you're big willies, right? You guys can lay your nuts on the line and score a TD. And I think he learned a lesson. What lesson do you think he learned when two straight plays on a one-yard line we don't score? He learned that he needs to get guys in there who can move the line of scrimmage. It might be the Jimmys and the Joes, right? Like, I think it's just, again, we talked about this early in the season, in the preseason. We talked about this week one, two, and three. There has to be film to justify the decisions the coaches are making before they make these wholesale changes. We all want to see tomorrow. We want to see wholesale changes tomorrow. Play the puppies, this and that, and this and that. I promise you, you lose the program if the guys who've been around three, four, five years who are, you know, right there fringe 
on the border with a puppy and it just feels like, oh, you're just going to get him because he's one of your guys, right? Because most of these kids that were not recruited by Coach BV, very simple to make, very easy to make the excuse and say, oh, you know, Coach wanted to play his guy. Well, this film is going to make it very easy and clear to see, like, no, you, you, you didn't make the play, right? You totally didn't make the play. And so I, I think this is an opportunity uh, for them to go back and on film show the O-line that, guys, you know, you didn't make the play. Granted, fourth down, guy does come backside where we don't block. So, so that is a play where the defender is just pulling the trigger and making a great play. But third down, they got penetration right in the beat, right in the A gap. Center guard, center guard gap, it, they kind of kick our ass on the left-hand side, and uh, they get the penetration they need to make the play they need to make. So from a, from a schematic standpoint, I think it was a bad decision. But from a mental standpoint, I, I do understand what Coach was trying to do. I firmly believe – he wanted to give his guys a chance to go out there and out physical someone. And of course they didn't get the job done. I want to ask you last um, before we move on to the defense, which will be a little less positive. I want to talk about the receivers. So yeah, we have, to. Well, yeah. So we, we've talked uh, a lot this year about the, the blocking on the perimeter that, that it wasn't, where it needed to be to make some of the quick game work that is essential in, in Levy's scheme. That's how you get to those those second and fours, those second and sixes, those third and twos, is you have to have those, uh, those extended run plays and they have to convert. You know, even if it's four or five yards, get out of bounds, you cannot get behind the sticks early. So just going down the targets today, you know, Mims had 16 targets. Willis had seven as the second most. Maybe that's something that, that you want to see, you know, different down the road when OU's a, a playoff contender. Maybe you need a, a second alpha dog in that receiver room. I, I bet you would argue probably, you know, even though Willis is, is a plus player. Uh, Theo Weiss, Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, all with uh, with four and six targets there, respectively. Um, that, so they, they spread the ball around. Pretty decent today. Gavin Freeman has an incredible catch. Number 82 is, Phenomenal. man, he is not. <laughs> my, my favorite part was that everybody thought it was Stoops. So the so the crowd started chanting. Did they do their, their Stoops uh, chants, chant that kind of sounds like a boo? But the, the receivers se- seemed to play pretty well today. The blocking on the perimeter was better. But does OU need an, another receiver to, to step up in that? under Mims role for this offense to, to go to that next level where they're, where they're a little bit more consistent on, on the third and longs and, and things of that nature. You know what? I don't think it needs to be a receiver. I don't have a problem with Willis except for my stake. All right. I really don't. I, I'm again, let me just be honest with you. Let me be very honest with you. I feel like in like a lot of position battles, um, coach Venables is in a conundrum. Why? Because you got a fifth-year player in Weiss who's not a bad player. But go back and watch his very first catch. This is the kind of stuff that pisses me off. Go back, go back and watch Weiss's very first catch. I, he, he catches like a, on first down we have, it's like the second play of the game, by the way. First down we go deep to Mims. Overthrown by two yards. Whatever. The second play, I mean, you know, obviously all of us are like, uh-oh, here we go. We're going to be behind the yard or behind the, behind the, uh, the yard markers and in, and in trouble. 
Well, the second play, we throw a quick out to, to Weiss. Weiss is 6'3", 210. I'd say, I, I don't know exactly how much he weighs. We can look at the program. But he lets a corner who's 5'10", 175, 180. I mean, he decletes him. He decletes him. Go back and watch the very, the second play of the game. And I'm not saying this to disrespect the kid, but like, you're a grown ass man, bro. You're like 22 years old and you're a big dude. It's, it's, it's not okay for you to be okay with a DB doing that. Like I just for context, we had Josh Norman on our team. And when we would go against the, the K-States, the FSUs, the Nebraskas of the world, there were times Barry right be like Jay Norm, buddy's trying to punk me because Jay Norm was a 6'3, 222-pound slot receiver. Right. So I'd be like, Jay Norm, bro, you gotta go get him. <laughs> like, hey, big bro, you gotta go get him because uh he tried to, you know, Jared Cooper or John McGraw or or Ralph Mike Brown. Like we dudes, these are dudes, these are NFL dudes, you know what I'm saying? And and I'm a puppy. And so I'm like, yo, man, you got to go put hands on him for me, Jay Norm, because they trying to, you know, whatever. Well, we got a guy who's a fifth, six-year player in the program, and he's getting decleated. He got decleated. Like the guy, it's a boom tackle is what we used to call him. That was a boom tackle. So I say that to say, and obviously he scores a touchdown. By the way, has a good day. He has a good day. And I'm going to talk about blocking because I'm going to talk about a coaching tweak that uh, Lebby and, and Ladamian, or yeah, I think coaches, coach, coach, the receiver coach institutes that changed why we're able to get the ball on the outside. I'll, I'll discuss that in a bit too. Interesting. But this is just ball players, right? I'm looking at ball players and I'm like, we, with all due respect, it's your time to go. He, we do have a number two. You're a five star receiver. You've been in a program four and a half, five years. You had an injury and had a whole off season to get better. Here's what most people won't discuss. And Barry, you probably know this too. Most college athletes who get injured come back stronger, faster. Because of medicine and technology today, when I went to OU, I was stronger, faster. I could bench more. I could squat more. I could clean more. I ran a 4-4-8-40 after my injury on a pro day. So, you know, point being, it's not like when you get injured, you're, you're injured, you're damaged goods. That's not true. That's a fallacy. That's fake. hundred percent. It's fake. It's not the truth, right? You get to literally focus on your body for, you know, a year. I focused on my body a full year and I came back a stronger, more, you know, and mature guy. So, and I'm getting long winded on that, but I look at Farouk and I'm sorry, he's got some MC in him. He's got it. The kid, the kid does not. He never gets tackled by the first guy ever. He's more quick than fast. So he's going to need an off season to really work on his burst. I think everyone can see that, but he's got a, he's got a sense for the game. He's got a sense for the game. And so I know coach V and, and coach Levy and Ladani and coach, I believe his last name is Washington. Yeah. I know they're in a position where they're like, this kid needs to play more. But you can't just throw away a week. You just can't do it. He's a program guy. He's been around forever. He stuck around when he could have transferred out. He could have transferred out and schools would have took him just based on his his pedigree and, and you know where he was coming out of high school. So so that's an issue where, you know, we got to be patient. The fans don't want to be patient. Hell, I don't want to be patient, but I get like when you're a football coach, you're a CEO. And if you've got a guy in your business and, you know, he's a 200K 
a year guy. He 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 brings two hundred thousand in revenue, but you got a young guy who who could potentially bring half a mil. I promise you, your business isn't throwing away the guy who does two hundred k because this other kid, this other person could potentially. You just don't do it. It's not good for business. It's not a smart business move. And so I understand why BV's doing that. Blocking. Go watch the first five weeks of the season. How we attempted to block screens. We attempted to stock block. And essentially what stock blocking is, is you, you, we know where the screen is designed to go. Is it a tunnel screen? Is it a screen down the sideline? Is it a screen through the hole, right? Is the receiver tracking in and then coming back out? Like screens are designed to be tracked in a certain way. It's just, it's essentially an, an extension of a run play, right? So like if you got 22 power, you're running behind the guard. Well, a screen might be an inside out screen and you're running out the hole. And so the first five or six games of the season, uh, B-Wise, we are trying to stock, which means our receivers have a man and their responsibility is to beat him to the spot and invite him to an angle that'll take him out of the play. It's called stock blocking. You do it in run plays, you do it in screens. Well, we didn't. We, we, we sucked at it every game. By the way, we sucked at it against UTEP. We couldn't consistently. How many times have we seen fans say, Stop doing that stupid throw into the boundary. Yeah. Right? It's a screen. Well, we went to a tunnel concept. And what a tunnel concept is, is you throw the screen when you've got more blockers than defenders and they essentially create a wall. Go watch how we did it today. And by the way, go watch how TCU did it to us. I think we watched film on what TCU did to us and we simply copied them because we did exactly. We blocked our screens today exactly how TCU blocked their screens against us. And here's why we could do it, because 70, 80 percent of the time, KU lined up in zone. And so when you've got zone defenders, you can take a three on two situation where we've got two receivers plus a a potential ball carrier who's going to catch the ball versus two defensive backs. And then, of course, pursuit, we could create what's called a tunnel. Right. And essentially all, all the receivers do is they take a step inside and the receiver who's catching the ball takes a step outside and you're already in a picket fence and the receiver can run the daylight and the dbs have the option of either going through the receivers or jumping inside And if they jump inside then the ball carrier or excuse me jump outside the ball carrier can jump inside it's called a tunnel concept it's a great concept especially for high school and it's a zone beater and so I saw that today and, I, and it, it kind of made me smile because it tells me our guys are watching film and being cognizant of what our guys can do and can't do. Our receivers are not good stock blockers. It's the first time in a long time that we don't have a crew of, of receivers that are good stock blockers. And so seeing them buy into that concept today, um, it, it made me happy. But it also, we can't get, by the way, USC just lost, just FYI, USC lost. Yeah, I got we it also can't, Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. We also can't get <laughs> what is that TB? Uh, what is that TBOW? Just saying. We also can't get too excited because once again, we're playing against a group of guys who just, you know, although they have great scheme and coaching and they they're up on, you know, the emotional piece, they just don't have the those guys aren't Texas. Those guys aren't the TCU DBs, you know. And so our but again, our guys take this and go into the bye week with confidence it's a big deal it, it really is a big deal 
Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Barry and Max Show. This will conclude part one. Part two is already available, so make sure to go listen. Also, coming soon, Sooners 360, recruiting, game breakdowns, film review, and everything in between. Please go leave us a rating and review, and we will see you soon.